Welcome to the Who Will Tell Your Story, an oral history series for the Community of Northridge Presbyterian Church podcast. I am Savannah Shivers, the pastoral resident here, and I will be your podcast host. This podcast focuses on nine oral histories or life stories of the members of Northridge that centers on one topic, speaking on faith journeys, specifically how faith journeys relate to God's work and members' past and present major life experiences. Everyone's faith journey is different because we are all unique. Some people have steady faith journeys where they always feel close to God, and some people have peaks and valleys in their faith journeys where they sometimes feel close to God and sometimes they do not. There is no right or wrong faith journey. There are just faith journeys. So, over the course of this podcast, we will hear nine different faith stories from nine different individuals. These individuals represent the rich diversity of Northridge members in terms of age, experience, and different identities. I believe that sharing one's faith story serves as a way to connect and get to know each other better and more deeply. It is also a way to help build community by getting to know people and their life stories. After all, the church is a community of unique and diverse people that comes together in fellowship to worship God. We are the church together, so let us learn about each other's life stories. Let's get started. Today, I'm here with Doug Gill, who is going to tell us a little bit about his story. Doug, thank you for being here today. Savannah, thanks for having me. Today, Doug, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about a pivotal moment in your life story that really shaped your faith. I think for me, it was probably when I was at Marine Corps Officer Candidate School, which would have been in 87, 88. And I had the occasion to be in assigned in a platoon with another gentleman from Dallas. And as I got to know him, I soon realized there was something different about him, that he had a really spiritual way about him, which is not really what you would expect to find going into Marine Corps Officer Candidate School. You really expected to find a lot of, you know, high testosterone, aggressive, uh, you know, people. And there were a lot of those. And that's, I guess, maybe what set him aside. He had a, a real spiritual side to him. And so anyway, he was just sort of curiosity, right? And as I got to know him a little bit better, which, you know, obviously we didn't have a whole lot of time to, to socialize and get to, to know each other, but I soon realized he was really a very devout Christian. And I had just over the course of time uh, during that summer, that training summer to, together, I really began to admire his level of devotion, his faithfulness, spirituality. And I think that was probably the most pivotal moment for me, having grown up in Northridge, literally grown up here, having been baptized here. I always was connected to the church, you know, regular attendance and went through the youth program and did all those things that kids at Northridge do. And Roger Quillen, in fact, led my confirmation class. And in fact, it was his 
first confirmation class as pastor at Northridge. And I guess back in the day, the pastors actually led the the confirmation. And so Roger was also a very, very important part for me. And and I have told him that I really do credit him with my faith journey and, and really helping me develop as a devout Christian. But I would say the most pivotal moment for me would, would have to be what happened to me back in the 80s. So you mentioned your friend, the devout Christian whom you admired. I was wondering, besides the devoutness, anything specific or in what ways did you admire him? Yes, Savannah, I would say that that was the thing that was the curiosity to me is because prior to that and since that even, really, I find that sometimes you get a sense that people are pushing their brand of Christianity, their brand of faith on you, and they are, I don't know if it's they're, they're a billboard uh, for it or, or what the right phrase is, but it's almost as if they have an angle or, or they're selling something. Whereas with him, that's what sort of drew me to him was the fact that it was really about his relationship with God. And if I happened to, to be observing that, you know, that was great. And if I wanted to emulate that, that's great. But he was not selling it. And I think that's really what was so interesting to me about him. I think that that's what Northridge embodies for me and has always been, to me, one of the real strengths and qualities of our congregation versus others that I've seen in New York. I attended Fifth Avenue Presbyterian, which is the size of you know North Park Mall, and you don't get to know anybody there at all personally. But here, so many people shaped my faith and, and shaped my journey by example, just you know, amazing leaders, but they were all very unassuming people who did not, again, push their way of, of thinking, their faith. They just led by example, which I admire. And so during your time with this person, I'm wondering what you have taken that has shaped your faith. I think probably anyone who <laughs> goes to Marine Corps Officer Candidate School has a certain level of self-confidence and self-reliance, perhaps even cockiness. And I'm sure I exuded all of those things as a 20-year-old. And, you know, what, what I would say is I think it was his humility and his humble approach to his faith really, I think, helped me see myself in a different way that that I needed to really be a more humble person and really turn to God for support and guidance as opposed to just self-reliance. And and I think that's one of the the really pivotal things that I learned from him. I think even today, I would definitely say, leading all the way back to, to being a, a young 20-something to, you know, fast forward 30, 35 years later, that, that really throughout my adult life, that's been very essential to, to turn to God as opposed to just rely on myself. So. I'm wondering if there is, since that pivotal moment, been a time where, where you have turned to God and thought back to that moment or if that's influenced that in any way. 
I certainly think about it when I think about my faith. I'm giving a faith statement for the session or whatever the case may be or talking to one of my children. I do think about it, the fact that, I mean, I tell my kids this, that there will be situations in your life that are uh, likely not accidents, you know, that, that he was put in my orbit, in my path for a reason. And it's it probably advisable when you have that feeling, when you think you are seeing that, to pay close attention and not to dismiss it. And it's the same with other people here at Northridge that I have, have come in contact with that I think back on how blessed I've been that, that they were in my path life and, and how enriched you know I have been for knowing some of the people who have come and are gone now. They have passed on, and, but they still are, are in my heart. They still help shape how I see the world. wondering if there's any people at Northridge you would like to talk about how they impacted your faith or shaped your life. Others, like Roger, I was with every Sunday for three decades. And I say every Sunday, I I must admit I probably did not come to church every Sunday to worship, but certainly was with, with Roger many, many years, decades, hearing him preach and learning from him, being in session meetings with him for years. I think he was pastor for six years I was on the session. So I know Roger very well, and I still stay in touch with Roger. He's been an important part of my life, and so I would say that his style of forcing me to think about issues, not telling me how I should think about something, but really forcing the responsibility on me to form an opinion. I liked that about him. What he did was he said, hey, Doug, you should have an opinion about this. What is your opinion? And I liked that about him. He caused me to think. And I think there are probably a lot of the older people in the congregation who did experience Roger as a pastor here in that same way as really challenging my own thinking, my own beliefs, my own prejudices, and caused me to take a wider lens view of things. I pay very close attention to how someone lives versus how they talk and do they actually practice what they preach (laughs) literally in this example practicing what one preaches i think is so important i wouldn't want a preacher or just a fellow church member to be at the pulpit and say, hey, have an open mind, or that, you know, and then privately they dismiss your ideas about something because it conflicts with their policy view of the world or whatever, right? Or vice versa. They tell me what their policy is from the pulpit, and it's like, wait a second. So anyway, I think that learning by example, watching how others live their lives is really interesting, and I think you learn good and bad things in that way. And for me, again, I always look at the people who have come into my life, and and some of those people who have come into my life, thankfully, are still in my life, and others aren't. You know, some have passed on, and, you know, others move away and, and fade away. That happens, but, you know, some you really remember for having shaped who you are.
I'm also wondering how this pivotal experience has shaped either your identity as a Christian, your own personal identity, or your theology or thoughts around church as a community. Going back and thinking for a moment, so to give you a concrete example maybe would be to going back to the building of this education wing. I recall vividly not too long after we had gone through a couple of capital campaigns to pay for the sanctuary and the narthex of which I was very, I was on the session for six years during all that and it was a big heavy lift, a lot. And then just three or four years later, it's like, okay, we're going to go into this big building campaign. Hey, Doug, will you head up the financing campaign or committee, rather, the preliminary committee and so forth? And I did. And I remember at that time thinking, okay, Ben is asking me to do this, even though I don't necessarily have the same vision and share the vision that is this the right time to be taking on such an ambitious, aggressive project. It is a massive financial commitment. I was not necessarily as committed to the vision (laughs) as others were, but I was humbled that I was asked to be a part of the initial leadership to look at how would it be financed, you know, capital campaign, borrowing, so forth. And I, uh, you know, put together a committee for that. And that would be, I think, an example where I was willing to say, hey, I'm going to be led by others and I'm going to do my best and do my part, even if I don't yet fully understand where God is leading us as a church, where we're headed with this project. And I'm uh, a little concerned about the notion of taking on a, a mountain of debt to build this new building and so forth. I had my doubts and concerns, but obviously as we sit here today with a marvelous physical plant here that is really awesome not only for our own members but for the community at large, and it's leading to to great connection, bad timing with COVID, but it's leading to great connection with the community and we're in a great financial position. So I obviously I was the doubting Thomas, um, you know, back those several years ago, but I was being led by others. Having been led by example your whole life, you're now doing that for others. Yeah, and I think, you know, good leaders always have to be willing to be led because I happen to think that. <laughs> And, you know, certainly as our society in recent years has become more polarized politically in the real world, quote unquote, out there, it does tend to spill over into parts of life where you wish it wouldn't, whether it's when you're listening to a sermon from the pulpit and something catches your attention, you're like, hmm, That happens. And even in conversation on a session committee meeting, someone makes a remark about something that, you know, rubs you the wrong way. It really is important to remember the work that we are doing here and the the corporate worship process that is going on in the sanctuary. It's important to remember those things, I think, that you have to not let your mind take off on, wait a second, that thing just disturbed my sense of this policy to really check myself to make sure that, all right, I need to approach this with some humility and I'm going to just move on and stay focused on what will help Northridge move forward. 
or if it's the sermon, hey, I will focus on the rest of the message, and, which is uh, hopefully what, what everyone tries to do. So, And we don't just check our beliefs or personalities at the front door when we walk in here. And so, yeah. And so, again, just learning from example, learning from those situations that happen, I think make us better members of a church body and better leaders when we're in an opportunity to be on session or a committee or or just leading another member in a conversation or thought process. Yeah, and I think that a person would probably be less than honest if they didn't say that their devotion and faith has a rhythm to it and an ebb and a flow. We're not always at high tide. And certainly for me personally, during the pandemic and leading up to that, the turnover we had in our pastoral leadership here and just any number of things, that was a time certainly for me that my devotion and faith journey was at an ebb for sure. I was definitely at low tide there. And I think that, again, that's why I said yes to serve on the session, because I realized, hey, this is a a moment where I can drift away and become less than I should be, or I can choose this path, be re-engaged and so forth. And so I think we are all presented with those moments and we have to make wise choices. I've known people in that sanctuary, some of them for decades. It's really interesting when I think about some of them. When I first met them, I was just a kid, and they didn't even have kids, and now their kids are married and having kids. And I mean, some of the kids I taught in first grade Sunday school are parents now. And I'll never forget one day when I walked out of the old sanctuary, I walked out in the hallway, and a gentleman, his name was Bob Keenly. Bob was chairing the Christian Education Committee at the time, and he walked up to me and said, Hey, committee wants to know if you're willing to teach first grade Sunday school this coming year. And I looked at him, and I was like, Wait, you want me to teach Sunday school? (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? I think I was 25 or something at the time, 26. I don't remember when I got married, but right around then. I mean, just I was newlywed, didn't even have kids. And I remember asking my wife, I said, hey, can first graders, do they know how to use the potty or what? I I didn't even know, okay, a first grader is a six-year-old, whatever. I, I mean, that's literally how green I was. But Martha Fox was my other teacher, just a gem of a person, wonderful human being. But she was about four and a half feet tall, but you would think she was 12 feet tall the way she commanded a classroom. And I just stood there towering over her in awe of her, like, whoa, I I better not cross her. She taught me when I was in choir in first grade, literally. And then I find myself in a classroom co-teaching with her. It was a surreal experience. And then now I see these six-year-olds, these first graders running around that are the kids of people that I taught. And it's amazing to serve on the session the last two years with someone who I taught in first grade Sunday school here, Brenna, and she's on the session. So it's, it's really amazing, the whole circle of giving back. 
because Martha Fox was such a tremendous resource for me and probably kept me out of prison when I was a young kid. I think, frankly, probably a lot of the people, that whole era of people, Martha Fox, Nell Green, so many of those ladies and, and gentlemen, would have probably said, yeah, that kid's going to jail someday. <laughs> but I uh, fooled them all. I stayed out of jail, but principally for their leadership, which was tremendous in growing up, especially Martha Fox's discipline. <laughs> You've talked a lot about really, really influential people in your life and your time in Northridge. I'm wondering, besides people, as someone who's attended Northridge your entire life, what makes Northridge Northridge? I'm sure everyone you ask that question of will answer it in exactly the same way that it's the people here. It's not the beautiful new building. It's not you guys, the staff here, pastoral leadership. Those are all wonderful things. But it is really the people to the left and right of you in the pews every Sunday that I think are what this place is all about. And I think that for those of us who get to pass through here, whether it's for a year or in my case, it's been over 50 years, it's a real blessing to get to be a part of that body of the church. And I think the best that someone like you who is staff, this may be a stop along your growth and development and your journey and so forth, spiritually and professionally. We recognize that that is probably a stop for you is for you to absorb and take away as much of that as you possibly can to your next stop because it is just, I think, unlike any other organization I've been a part of, frankly. I've been a part of all kinds of different organizations over my lifetime and just the people and the friendships and so forth is just amazing. Yeah, it's a special place. It's not a place even. Uh, I don't know what you, how you describe it, but it is definitely the people. For sure. Well, thank you so much for your time My today pleasure. and sharing yeah. your story. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs>